uh, thank you so much to everybody who participated in Serve Our City. You know, uh, <clears throat> I've only been here a couple of years, and one of the things that God laid on my heart when I was asked to serve here was that as a congregation, one of the things God is calling us to do is to get outside of the walls of our church, find people in need, to partner with others who are serving people in need, and earn a reputation as a particularly loving church. That people will believe we love God and love them when they see us serve them. And that's not my idea. That's God's idea. How we do it, when we do it, that might be different. But the fact that Jesus calls us to be radical servants of his love to people in need, that's just who we are. If you're a Christ follower, you are a servant. Did you know that? <laughs> Let me ask that one, one more time. If you are a Christ follower, you are a servant. Did you know that? Yes. Yes, Lord. Um, we've been talking about five love languages, the way we express and receive love. Our theme text has come from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that describes a, a love that's stretching and challenging. It's not um, temporary. It's not emotional. It's not uh, here and there, now and then. It is self-giving. It is courageous. It is all in for God and for others in Christ's name. And so we're going to just remind ourselves of that text. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Would you read the next sentence with me? It does not demand its own way. Let's read that again. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And the rest would you read again? Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Wow. Wow. We said the real test of love is whether you could put your name in every place the word love occurs. You know, uh, Glenn never gives up. Glenn never loses faith. Glenn is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's a high challenge, isn't it? Now put your name in there, right? Now as we learn the languages of love, if we want to live this out, then we've said there's five different love languages. Uh, words, words of affirmation, words of affection. Many people hunger to hear and receive genuine, uh, genuine compliments, genuine blessing from the, from the lips of somebody that cares, you know? We're starved for those kind of words. And when we receive them, if that's our love language, it, it nourishes our soul. It touches us at the core of who we are. I talked about gifts and how some people, you know, just the right token, uh, physical uh, representation of the fact that you thought about them and you cared for them. Uh, it touches them deeply. Uh, we talked about touch last week. That, that we all are made with a physical body 
that responds to human touch. And for some, that's our basic love language. And uh, when someone touches us in a meaningful way, it goes right to the heart. Next week in our last message in this series, we're going to talk about time. Not being in too big a hurry. Today, we talk about service. Now, for any of you who are eager students who want a little um, extra assignment homework, you know who you are. Um, Take all five love languages and think about how we use them to love God. Not just other people, but love God. We love God with our words. We love God with our gifts. We just did it when the offering came by. We, we love God with our serving. We love God with our time. It takes time to love God. The one that's probably the biggest challenge is touch because we can't touch God. But there are ways we can use our body in worship and in service that touch the heart of God. I love that. Today, uh, this theme of acts of service, loving with acts of service, we all, we all think that we should serve. We're pro-serve, right? We, we, we agree with it. We like it. We, we think it's a good thing to do until we get home at the end of a busy day and the toilet I fixed last week is still plugged. And uh, the, the, the garden we weeded two weeks ago still needs to be weeded again. You know what I'm saying? I'm all for serving until I get home and have to do it. Uh, I'm all for serving until I show up at church and something didn't get done or somebody else who was on a volunteer team, you know, needs a hand and they ask me at the last minute if I can help and, and then it's a pain, you know. Um, I don't, serving is easier said than done, isn't it? Uh, it, is, it is hard. It is very hard. Consistently. Jesus um, faced it over and over and over and over and over and over with his disciples. I mean, he taught them all about it. He modeled it for them. And yet, as soon as he turned his back, what did they argue about? Who's going to be first? And in the ancient Middle East, much like it is in our time, the the person who's going to be first doesn't serve. They're the ones that are served. And I don't know about you, but I like to be served. I like it when somebody opens the door and says, you know, welcome, sir. Oh, sir, I like that, you know. Um, I like to be the one that's being served, and so do you. So do we all. It's part of our humanity. And Jesus says, though you like it, it's not who you are. It's not how we do this. Not Not Jesus people, not kingdom of God people. We are by the very nature of our love for God and our thankfulness for being forgiven and made new in Jesus Christ. We are radically changed. We're not that person anymore who needs to be served. Love is not boastful or proud. Love. What did I have us read twice? Love does not insist on its own way. It is not about me. But I wish it was. (laughs) And so I have to keep pushing back. I have to keep remembering, listening, responding to the promptings of God in my heart. So I want us quickly today to look at three 
passages of Scripture where Jesus goes at this again and again and again. And there's an outline in the program today to help us to see all that Jesus is teaching on the subject of the love language of service. The first thing it says there is that acts of service exude deep humility. This is not something we do. This is something we are. Someone we are. Um, Interestingly, I came across this parable from Luke chapter 17, a parable of Jesus that I don't like, and neither do you. Um, It's probably one of the two or three most difficult passages of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. Um, Luke 17, beginning with verse 7, Jesus says to his disciples, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, Wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. What? I I thought Jesus was Mr. Nice Guy. Somebody told me he was Mr. Rogers with a beard. You know, but that's not here. That's not here. Jesus says, are you going to invite your servant after they've worked hard all day to sit down and eat with you? And the answer is no. Now, we don't get that partially because we don't have servants. We don't live in a world where there are indentured servants. I just came back from Haiti, and the home in which I stayed, a middle-class home, had a, a young man and a young woman who lived in a small hut behind the house where we lived. They cooked the meals. They cleaned the house. They, that was their role. They weren't a slave in the biblical sense, but they had a role to serve. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying we have people, and their role in our culture is serving. And they are called to do their work. And when they do their work, and they do it fine, they accomplish their task, you might have a servant who would say, I did what you asked me to do. Now I want to kind of sit down and take a rest and have you wait on me? I'd, I'd, I'd like, a, I'd like a, a pat on the back. I'd like you to say, you know, that was super, super awesome. You don't have to do that anymore because you did that one so well. Um, what if you had a spouse who never helped out, you know, around the kitchen, but one day got inspired and, and uh, unloaded the dishwasher? <laughs> That, ha- that happens in our house, right? And the person who unloaded the dishwasher, who doesn't typically unload the dishwasher, does it once and says, how cool is that, right? Did you notice? Do I get, like, bonus points? To which the answer is, no. <laughs> you just did what you were supposed to do. You ought to do it more often, right? That's the parable. That's the parable, okay? And Jesus is saying to his disciples, okay, imagine you're the boss. And some employee of yours shows up for work on time, sits down at their desk, turns on their computer, starts to work in the morning, and then they look over at you and say, aren't you impressed? I got here on time. I started to work. I've done, I've done an hour's work. How cool is that? And you, as the boss, will say, 
Okay, you did your job. Now, why does Jesus say that? Because when people go out of their way to serve, when they find a need and meet it and they find a hurt and heal it, they somehow think they've been heroic. That, that you know, they, they ought to get some kind of special recognition and pat on the back and add a boy, add a girl. Now, it's true that would be nice, but, but we don't demand it. We don't expect it. We're not entitled to it. We just did what we were supposed to do, right? Because, because we're servants. So then Jesus flips the story. I love this. Jesus, the most brilliant storyteller in the history of the world, right? He starts the story, you're the boss. And, you're, and you have a servant who's kind of entitled and full of themselves. And they want you to fawn all over them and praise them endlessly for just doing the bare minimum. But now you're the servant. Now you're the servant and you just did what you should do. Is that what you expect? And the disciples start to get it. There's a humility involved. You know, after all that Jesus Christ has done for me, and in me, and is doing in me, the least I can do is serve Him. The least I can do. It's, it's who I am. Read your New Testament. Paul, a servant. It's like my identity, my role. It's, it's my nature. It's who I am. So the disciples are starting to get it. They're wrestling with it. Jesus has gone, you know, bam, <laughs> bam. I just told you a story about a servant who expected to be praised when all they did was did their, their job. And that's you, you know, that's you. Don't expect a parade. Don't expect high praise. Don't expect a reward. Just do what God has called you to do. And do it because you love God. And then he's sitting in Simon's house. Another story. This time from Luke chapter 7. And uh, there's a role here for a servant. See, when you, whenever a dignitary in the ancient Middle East, came to somebody's house for a dinner. There was a very clear protocol. The servant was to greet them. Now, we know from our Bible that when a special guest comes to your home, how do you greet them? You greet them with a holy... You greet them with a holy kiss. Has anybody ever seen uh, still today in the Middle East where you kiss on the side of the face? Kiss sometimes one, sometimes two sides, right? That's just... That's just a handshake, right? That's just welcome to my home. Um, if the person is of equal status to you, then you as the host greet them. If they are of somewhat lesser status to you, then the servant would greet them. And uh, if they were, again, if, the, if a servant to a person above them, then they would kiss the hand and they would demonstrate how delighted they are. There would be a blessing moment when you came into the home. And then they would show you to the place of honor. And it's interesting, 21st century North America, we've, we don't do any of this. Um, 
when you go to a, to a special gathering, uh, if it's kind of informal, nobody worries about who sits where, right? Uh, I, every time I travel overseas, especially when I go to China, which I'd love to go to China, I want to go back to China, I want you to go with me to China. Anybody want to go to China? That's a whole other sermon. Sorry about that. Anyway, when you go to China, it matters where everybody sits, okay? There is protocol. You don't just barge in and sit down. So my, the, my first trip to China, I studied up on the culture. So the host sits opposite the door. And the guest of honor sits to their right. But you don't just go in and sit to the right, even if you know that's where you sit. You wait, and the host shows you to your seat, and that's where you sit. And then everyone else in the room knows their relationship to the host and their relationship to the guest, and they sit accordingly. So it was in Jesus' time. And when you sit, you recline, you sit on, on the floor, leaning on your elbow, and there's a, a low table in front of you, and you're about to eat. When I was in rural China, I ate in the home uh, of an imam. It's a long story that I'll tell some other time. And uh, I lean on my elbow, and my feet are out here. And of course, if I've been walking on dusty streets all day, and the food goes on sort of like a coffee table right in front of me, then it's only polite for my feet to be clean. If I've had bare feet or walked in sandals, and so the feet would be washed. If the guest is a, a dignitary, then the host washes their feet. If the guest is someone of uh, somewhat lesser status, then the servant washes their feet. Um, the feet must be washed. So at the very minimum, you would give the guest water and a towel, and they would wash their own feet. But that would be somewhat of, a, of an insult. And then um, Nancy and I were just watching one of those, uh, the Bible show that's on TV on Sunday nights the other week, and we saw the, how the custom of, of putting oil on the head when you come in, you're in a desert climate, it's very, very hot, your, your skin is um, burning, your hair is all dry and frazzled, and so a little bit of olive oil is given, and the hair is smooth, and the, the skin is soothed, and... It's like a blessing, right? How, how cool, how beautiful. Jesus goes to Simon's house. Nobody greets him. Nobody kisses him. Nobody welcomes him. He just kind of gets pointed to a place and he sits and the host doesn't wash his feet and a servant doesn't wash his feet and they don't even give him any water to wash his own feet. And there's a woman, this is probably like in a courtyard. She's heard that Jesus is coming and she's standing in the shadows and there's a reason for that because she's the town prostitute and everyone knows. And she would never be invited to the party but she, you know, gathers up her nerve and she comes to the edge and she watches and she sees how Jesus is treated. And she's outraged that, that this one who has given her hope, somehow we don't really know all of the backstory, but this one has come there and he's being treated like this. And it somehow breaks her heart. And, you know, I know from my experience of 
seeing God transform lives, I know what happens when the love of Jesus touches somebody deeply, right? When often there are tears, there's this just overwhelming sense of the goodness of God and something touches this woman and she kind of edges in and comes behind Jesus. Now, he's a holy man. She can't, she can't kiss him. I mean, he's a, he's a holy man. She, she, she's not going to, you know, uh, welcome him in some formal way. The only thing she can do is she sits behind him and she leans over. And can you imagine? She's crying so hard. She is so broken inside. God's at work in such a powerful way that she cries so much she can actually wash his feet with her tears. And she takes down her hair, which she has probably done many times in a sinful way. But this time it's not that. And she wipes his feet with her hair. And she has around her neck a a little vial of precious perfume worth a year's wages. $50,000 worth of perfume. And she takes it and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And now, now people are starting to get upset, right? I'm sure Simon is totally embarrassed. He should have done all those things, but he did none of them. And now he starts complaining. You know, who are you, Jesus? Who's this woman? Why are you letting her touch you? And Jesus stops him cold, right? And then we have the text here at the end. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Why do we serve? Because we have been forgiven. And we are overwhelmed by the goodness of God. And the least we can do is pour out our love. And the least we can do is find somebody we can touch in his name. And Jesus is telling the disciples, you just don't get it. You still think it's about you. You still want a pat on the back when you serve. But that's not the way we do it. It's just who we are. We serve. And we serve out of humility and we serve out of gratitude. And so then we see the famous passage, John chapter 13. And it's almost at the end, right? The disciples are gathering in the upper room and all this protocol that we just talked about that everybody understood has somehow been ignored. (laughs) After three years, the disciples have come to dinner with Jesus and nobody has arranged for water. Nobody has engaged the servant. And none of them, (laughs) don't you love it? None of them are going to do it. I'm not going to wash your feet. You wash my feet. And so, in this really weird, awkward, tension-filled room, they all sit down, right? And Jesus gets up and puts on a towel and starts to wash their feet. They must have blown them away. It must have cut them to the core. They were so, so humiliated. And Jesus gets to Peter, and of course, good old Peter never has a thought he doesn't say. 
right? So he's like, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus is like, I'm the one washing your feet, right? <laughs> and then he's, Peter's like, well, wash my hands and my head. Jesus is like, sit still and let me wash your feet, okay? Shut up. <laughs> That's my translation, okay? Just sit there and let me do this because there's a point to be made here. If I, the Lord and the Master, wash your feet, you know who I am, right? You know who I am. If I do this, then you do this for one another, and you do this from now on. That's who we are serving. So, you're going to go home today. You're going to get up tomorrow. You're going to live with people that you say you love. How are you going to serve them? How are you going to show them? Um, husbands, wives, parents, kids. Uh, I think it would be a wonderful thing to turn to somebody you care deeply about and say, how can I serve you? Like if, if your love language, you know, if it's like on a one scale of one to ten of how we're doing on this one, uh, where are we at? <laughs> and what could I do? In the place that you work, if you go to school, if you're in a, in a marketplace situation, you should be asking God, how could I serve here in such a way that I would draw attention to you? And there is no greater place for us to kind of uh, exercise our serving muscles than in the church. And, uh, you know, the greatest churches in the world are churches filled with servants who, who, uh, who say what needs to be done and we do it. And we live in a community that doubts our message. They listen to the news. They think Christians like us are uh, cranky, critical, difficult people. And nothing could change their mind about us and our message like serving. So, I don't know, maybe you were hoping I'd say I'd get over it. <laughs> you know, like this new pastor guy, he'll get over it. He'll get over this serving thing, you know. One of these, one of these years we won't go and go to my brother's keeper. and uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not getting over it, just so you know. I'm not getting over it. And there's a reason that we've decided that, uh, and, and I'll take the blame if there's blame to be had, that we're going to do it on a, on a Sunday, because it, it hurts. It's supposed to. I'm a servant. The offering might not be as big that week. And, uh, you know, we could have done it. We could do it on a Sunday, you know, on a, like a holiday weekend when you're all out at the campgrounds anyway. Um, we could lower the cost as far as we could get it and then kind of pat ourselves on the back, but that's not what we're doing. Um, so we're going to have church. We're going to have church on the 7th of June at 9.30 in the morning. And we all get to come and sing and worship and give and do all that. But then at, after church, we're going to serve. And um, we saw the video. We're going to do a lot of those things again, and we're going to do some new things. Uh, did anyone notice in the video the prayer team, the prayer walk? I participated in some of the prayer walk. We walked through downtown Davison. It wasn't a real long walk. 
That was a joke. Uh, but it was a good walk, right? It was a good walk. We walked down, we walked across, we walked back. If you would rather not do some kind of uh, other service, praying for our community is one of the most powerful things you could do. And I think anybody in here could do it. And you could do it on a Sunday morning. Would there be anything wrong with that? I can't think of it. I can't think of it. Um, uh, I talked with Michelle Edwards. Michelle works with the Davison Community Schools. And uh, she's uh, one of our liaisons, the key person with that. And they are doing a summer uh, food program for students in the community that are in need. And so what we're going to do is we're going to set up a station here in the church, probably in the, in the multipurpose gymnasium. And we're going to pack food. And she said maybe some curriculum in there with that. And we're going to use that hour after the first service to prepare that and then figure out a way to get it to those students there in the next few days. I, I just think that's going to be so awesome. Um, one of the people who was ordained, I mentioned 10 people who were ordained. One of them is uh, um, Dolores, uh, African-American pastor, the new pastor of Living Grace Church, our, our African-American congregation in Flint. Does anybody know that our region and our country has issues with uh, racial reconciliation. There are tensions in our community. We can help solve them. You could do something about it. I could do something about it. So we're going to take the team. I'm going over there this week to meet with Pastor Dolores. We're going to develop a ministry plan for that day and we're going to send a team to their church. They have a new church building. Anybody know where um, Hemp Hill uh, and 475 is? Kind of where that is. Uh, they have a, a new building there. They were part of my brother's keeper. They've relocated to a new place. So they need all the help they can get, right? And she said, you guys just come and you can do anything you want, right? You can redo the whole place. So uh, we're going to figure that out and go back. Um, my brother's keeper, uh, you know, my friend, our friend Patrick um, is no longer the, the director there. And uh, you can pray for Patrick. I, I'm privileged to be his mentor as he works on getting back into ministry. But in the meantime, that ministry needs to go forward. And they've, got, they, they've had a hit, right? Patrick isn't there. Anybody know Patrick McNeil? No, he's bigger than life. He's awesome. He's amazing. Now he's not there. Now they've got to keep going. Now it's tougher than ever. Now they need a friend. You know, I, I moved here from across the country and I said, God, if there was a place kind of nearby that needed a hand that we could help that's making a difference, would you show us? <laughs> My Brother's Keeper is the perfect place for our congregation to continue the partnership we've had and, uh, and move it forward. So, in the program, there is an insert on the bottom of it, the sermon outline. It says, I will serve my home, my school or, or workplace, and serve my city. It's coming up on June the 7th. If you have your cell phone, you have my permission to take it out and mark the date. Okay? <laughs> and put it in your calendar. And uh, what I, more than anything else, what I'd like you to do is put it in your heart, right? Put it in your heart. Because here's what I know. 
Davison Free Methodist Nation. We are servants. Love serves. Love serves my wife. Love serves my husband. Love serves my kids. Love serves my folks. Love serves my neighbors. Love serves my enemies. Love serves. Jesus, I pray that that would be more than words. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.